Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. Hey, I'm Sebastian Mirau, the co-host of The Healthy Show, and this little episode is about get to know your host a little bit, which is me and Johannes Kettlehold. So in this episode, I will tell you a little bit about how actually the, the brand Healthy came about and what the path to it was. So I'm really passionate about health, and that comes from, from a point of view that is similar in many other science fields, actually. We've, we've taken an approach over the last 150 years that is really about fixing it with logical thinking and engineering. And if a brute force doesn't work, we haven't used enough. And, and that, that has given us many, many benefits all around the world. But there's also an aspect of it that, that people rely on that things can get fixed when they're broken. But we're not quite like machines that if something breaks, you can just put a new part in it. And that led me to realize that there's also a, quite a different approach that we always should consider at the same time. And that is actually preventional way of working. And that is, you know, like in the environment, it would be, you know, leave those meadow next to the river so that we don't have flooding because these meadows have always been there to be the buffer between civilization and nature in a sense so that our houses don't get flooded. When you go into health, it's a similar thing. If you for years really misuse alcohol or have a lot of stress, don't have enough sleep, whatever it is, you will end up with issues where yes you, you go to doctors and they actually want to do surgery they really want to change your lifestyle radically or they will put you on permanent medication now that's something that you can actually in many cases prevent using preventative measures which can be you know as simple as i sleep a little bit longer or i take these herbs you know that i can and, and support my my liver before It becomes a really, really broken level because I've taken too much alcohol, whatever it might be. I think this preventative thinking is, is still not everywhere in society and certainly not everywhere in health. And so that's how we actually started to, to sell infrared saunas because we know that infrared saunas backed by research can show or shows that we can do a lot to be healthy and remain healthy and prevent, you know, heart disease, overweight, all these things an infrared sauna can help with. So that was really the starting point, but that's just one particular device that is amazing. Many thousands of people love this product and, and we're really, really happy that, that we are in that space. But, you know, having done this now for 10 years, we also feel that there are so many other modalities, health modalities that we wanted to bring to the world. And, and so we moved into the brand Healthy, which for us combines a lot of different things that, that we believe can really help. And, you know, that's part why this podcast exists as well, because it links to the vision. And the vision is this. We said we want to make sure that we create a device for 1 billion households on Earth and on Mars, if applicable, to allow people to really port their, their health and their, their bodies by using and this device less than one hour daily and be able to extend and improve their life. So 
I believe it's absolutely possible to do that. And I can see that, you know, with the devices we sell right now, people manage pain much better and, and, and get to their health goals. But I also know that there's so many technologies that are not known at the moment or not mainstream. And if we are able to actually put this all into one device that people joyously use and love, they will comply meaning they will actually use these devices every day and therefore really improve their health or maintain really, really good health and extend their life. This podcast has the objective of actually educating beside, you know, or, or giving an additional benefit to our audience that also love our products to actually learn more about health. But because we know our vision needs a lot of help to actually really cover the globe with an amazing appliance or additional appliances to what we at the moment distribute. We also look for talent all the time and try to attract this through this podcast where people say, okay, this is an amazing company to work with. And I might have a chance to talk a little bit about it, what it's like to, to work for Healthy, as well as finding partners that want to work with us around the world, whether they're distributors or service providers and so on. So th there's really that idea of like, this is a big vision can't do it alone neither do we want to it's not as much fun so you know this is the podcast is one way to actually bring value to everyone but also to pique their interest of like hmm, maybe this is something that i'm interested to and i would love to be part of this vision if i think about how this actually started and how i developed this awareness that preventative medicine is a good thing i can think about a time when i was a teenager where i would do exactly the opposite and what it was is i was about 15 had my first girlfriend and i was meant to go on a school trip and i really didn't want to go because she was not part of that school trip she was at a different school and so i went to my doctor and i said how could i stay at home and he said well your appendix will go sooner or later how about we take it out now and you can stay home, be with your girlfriend. I said, oh, this is a great idea. So I went under the knife, took my appendix out. And being a teenager, I really didn't look after myself after the operation. I basically went straight from the hospital. I didn't go home. I went, went straight to see my friends. And I put so much stress on that wound that it started to grow inside again and uh, strangulated my intestine. And basically, two months later, I was back under the knife in an emergency operation because my intestine was partly dead. So they cut part of it out. That was a blessing in disguise. I lost 20 kgs. I couldn't drink for two weeks. Couldn't eat for three weeks, I believe. It was a really, really intense hospital experience. But it made me aware that everything what I eat, uh, even the weather, has an impact on my body. And if you have a fresh scar and people who have had a fresh scar, they might relate to it. You actually can really feel weather changes. And you can feel if you haven't chewed your food properly, like in the case of, of an intestine operation and so on. So the sensitivity is heightened because the body, of course, is in a sense wounded right now and has a different sensibility to everything. And that was amazing because I changed my diet and tried to optimize so that I don't have any pain. I changed my sleeping patterns because I realized also if I don't sleep enough, the wound hurts again and overall the digestion doesn't work. These things all went okay and, you know, I, I, I got my health back. But during this time of trial and error, what works for me, I believe I understood that I have a lot of responsibility of how I feel and how my body is. So I really have to look after my body. It's not the doctors that, that have the responsibility to fix me afterwards. That's that's not fair. Neither, neither is this really logic. It's, it's, it's just not logical because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm with my body all the time. The doctor doesn't even know I exist until I go when I'm already broken. And, and somehow this really stuck with me. That's why I studied environmental science. Because and, and climate change as well, because it, it felt like, man, you know, like we try to fix it afterwards, but really there's so early warning signs, same as in the body, it's in nature. It's like we can already see there are less species of X, Y, and Z. Well, then let's act now rather than like they're missing. What do we do now? 
and it's similar with the body, like I have small aches and pains here. I rather try to fix it now than when it's absolutely chronic and I really have to be on painkillers to to really get back to normal. So I think that's that's how it, how it started and how I really realized you know that this is this is a huge oversight of society for good reasons. You know things went really well with the industrial age, but it's time to actually upgrade quite a bit, and that has a lot to do with preventative medicine and just looking after yourself and having that consciousness around like this is a vehicle you use. Your body is a vehicle that you use every single day. If you have a healthy body, the quality of your decisions, of your thoughts, of your actions, of your deeds, of how you show up in life, hugely dependent on how you treat your body and because of that if you think about it like for me it was really like wow if i if i get into that i can positively impact humanity by supporting the bodies of people and i'm many practitioner would probably say the similar thing like i can see my positive impact by helping the vehicle that that is so that a person sits in and therefore they act better they're a better husband they they show up better at work they Whatever they do, they're, they're just a better citizen. So I thought there was a really good angle to show up in life and, and do something positively. The reason why infrared saunas in particular piqued my interest and I got became so passionate about it is I, I believe it's very easy because you just have to sit in there. So you burn about 600 calories in, in an hour by sitting there and having a passive aerobic exercise. It's, it's pleasant. You can listen to music. Infrared saunas have a really low temperature point that you have to reach and 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 it feels as hot as, as if you're in a traditional hot rock sauna for me it was really that hour in the day where i can relax where i can meditate where i can ponder you can use the phone in in the sauna but it's, it's not really pleasant to use it necessarily because you get really sweaty and so on so for me it's really it's something i look forward to not like you know exercise is not every day you're not excited about exercise every day whereas for sauna it's wonderful. And, and coming out of northern Germany, which is close to Scandinavia, there's a culture of saunering anyway. And particularly the smell of a sauna is something that for me is always coming home. And it really changes my mental state. It, it is quite, quite a strong sort of like almost forest smell. And that calms me. You know, it's an anchor in the day. It's it's a switch in the day, really, of like, okay, work is over, the day is over, and this is how I wind down. So I guess that's why I'm so passionate about it. I can talk about many other modalities I'm, I'm also passionate about, but this one just stuck out and, and just really fit a void that I was looking for. So it was myself loving it, you know, before I actually decided to make this a, a thing and, and part of our venture. One passion I have is going to the, the forefront of alternative health which some people call biohacking, but there's also alternative medicine summits, longevity summits, there's all sorts of things. And it's a blend of people doing actually self-experiments and rely on ancient text and say, for example, in Chinese medicine, this is a tonic herb, which means you can actually use it all the time. You don't have to worry too much about it. Whereas this is a medical or, or a really strong herb that you only take for 30 days max because it does X, Y, and Z. And, and then you go to these conferences and you have other things that are completely researched, you know, like heat shock proteins, cold shock proteins, and so on. You use an ice bath when you use the sauna and so on. And there's a lot of science behind it and everything in between. And what I love about these conferences is the focus is mainly that people want to get better or want to find something to help other people. I'm not saying that the medical profession doesn't do that, but the frame that medical profession is in is fairly restrictive. Let's say the intent is definitely a good one, but it's not a secret that also that system is massively played by by the really, really big companies. It really is. So what I just want to say on that is that, you know, if you, if you Google it, if you just look how lobbying works, this is something that is in a normal pharmaceutical company's budget 
is this type of lobbying. They might call it slightly different, but it exists. And what that means to me is that they might actually get a patent or they get a contract when they shouldn't or where it's really not fear that that goes that way. But, but you know, that's, that's the, the game they can play with the money, especially money and influence that there is. So not always the best products go on the market. In fact, there's so many cases, interesting books written about great inventions, health inventions that were bought by a big company and then they shut it down because it really hurt their bottom line of their product that is inferior, but that they want to really push. So many stories about that. So going to a longevity conference, going to a biohacker conference, whatever there is, these most of the time not big corporations. And when you talk to the founders, which often are still there, there's, there's a really different goal for them. They, they just found something that really works for them or that works for their client and they just made it a product for other people. And of course, not all amazing. You know, there are also people that, you know, try to make a buck. That's, that's the case everywhere. But, but what really excites me about going to these types of conferences is I, I can see the future. And sometimes it's a future that comes out of the past. So if you look at Chinese medicine, there's multiple books written, unfortunately in Chinese, but, you know, translated that would say like this type of herbs you can take all the time. You know, there's, there's no problem of taking them constantly. And it helps you like ratios for one of those 250,000 different research studies on one mushroom. And that mushroom you can take any day and it helps your immune system. So many other things that, that, that helps. And, you know, I just feel that knowledge is coming back through those channels, not so much through corporations. And, and it's just a setup that leans itself way more toward discovering old or new ways of supporting your health. And that's why I'm really excited about it. So it's the people, it's a product that really have heart and, and a good intent behind it. And yeah, that's, that's where I look for inspiration and upgrading myself as well as bringing that, you know, to the, to the wider world when, when I can. Let me switch gears a little bit and talk about why I'm here and running a company and, and how, how I got there. And that really started when I was at school and it didn't go particularly well for me at school. In fact, it probably was the darkest time of my life was school life. And it started really in grade one. I was really quickly pointed out by the teachers of being not able to concentrate as well and being a dyslexic. Like I was within a couple of months, they knew I was a dyslexic. And, and for people who don't know what a dyslexic, what, what that looks like, it's things like, you know, you, you write house and instead of OU, you do UO. Over the years, I've, <laughs> just side note, it's interesting, but I see words as pictures, as structures. So an O and a U look so similar that it's really, really hard for me to write the right thing. But going back to Back then, you know, when the school started, this this is this was my life, basically constantly making mistakes all the time. And I I really disliked school. I like disliked school because I wasn't achieving anything. Like I wouldn't get good grades. And of course, my peers would know that. And so I would really soon be the one that was different. It serves me now. I don't mind anymore being different. I'm really used to that through school. But it 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 also showed me like I, I can't walk this normal path that everyone or most, most people that come to school or that, you know, just in normal life aspire to, which is I will go and get a job. And I was thinking, you know, I won't get a job with these grades anywhere. I will not be able to walk that normal path. And even though, even little, little people, you know, when I was nine or 10, you sense that already that like, ooh, this, this is not slotting in like Lego, like I'm used to with other things, you know, there's something not quite right or different. And so I started to look out for alternatives like the, and this, this is the process that can take years for, for kids and, and, you know, for young adults to, to really walk through and say like, there must be something else. And so for me, it was like, well, maybe I make money with something that I'm passionate about. And I was passionate about uh, surfing back then and, but I didn't live at the ocean really. So 
the next best one is like making skateboards. So I particular skateboards that feel a little bit like like a surfboard. So that's that's how I started to get into the in, entrepreneurial spirit. And I did it together with my brother, who's seven years younger, and he was really good on the computer with graphics and stuff. So he came up with graphics. I came up with sort of more the engineering side of things, something that I later on actually studied as well, engineering. But yeah, it's uh, it, it really came out of the realization that somehow this would be extremely hard to to comply with a normal way of of, of a career and so th th that's how i started to sell skateboards it wasn't a big venture it was just you know dabbling in. but it led me to my second company which was web design so that was two years later not with my brother but with uh, one of my best friends at school he was really good in uh, graphics as well and i was really good in coding i have a really logical mind if i when i want to and so we built content management systems actually and and you know and, and he would design the websites that would display that content that i put in and we did it for some years it helped me during my studies to actually fund that i learned a lot about customer relations you know like delivering actually on what you promise and and a little bit of sales as well how do you sell yourself Lot, lots of things there actually one of my first presentation I did have a laptop, but it was really small. And so I brought my really big monitor and I actually needed my friend to help me carrying this into this guy's office. <laughs> and, you know, we didn't have the right cables. And so it was so heavy. It was a big monitor. And we thought better big than, you know, small, even though it was like many kgs. I can't quite remember, but you needed two people to bring in that monitor to give him that little presentation on why he, why they needed a, a website. That That's how far this goes back. And, and they were, I think, did they become a customer? I think they did. Yeah, to put a lot of effort into carrying that that uh, monitor from our car to the the office, and that really carried me through studies. That took a little bit longer as well. So you know, wasn't wasn't the fastest for for some subjects there. So it it helped me, and and for me, it became more and more than this is the way to actually make a living. You you have to come up with ideas. It it just was the easier path and the more familiar path by then to actually make money. So you know, after that, I. I did actually finish some studies and became a consultant for 200 different companies. And uh, it was amazing to, you know, the little experience I had was having my own company and then going into other companies and seeing similarities, filling in questions, question marks that I had from running my own company. Well, I wonder when you're bigger, what you do here, you know, in terms of, you know, what's your accounting system? How do you manage people? You know, what numbers are we actually talking about in a company? You know, all these things. And so it was great to be a consultant and auditor for, it was an environmental footprint. Didn't matter. You can always look a little bit beyond, you know, j j just the environment. And you actually understand also other figures in the business. What that led me to is talking to many different CEOs of companies. It was actually part of, so it was an environmental audit. And I would ask the CEOs, how enrolled are they and how dedicated they actually are for you know, being being more environmentally aware and, and taking the actions to reduce the emissions and stuff like that. And they were really small companies, like, you know, one-man band, sort of like small vineyards. I was in New Zealand at the time. A really big multinational, like General Electrics with, you know, billion, billions of dollars and I think 105 different businesses I audited underneath this one business. So it was really complex. But it really gave me a good idea of how companies work. And at the same time, I was super, super interested in health and was always doing that on the side, you know, as a hobby. And at one stage, I believe, just traveling to a health conference in LA, I just found infrared saunas. Didn't really consider whether it's something that we can also distribute or do. But it, it just turned out that the sauna manufacturer was very, very interested in doing this for us. Also quite altruistic and saying like, this will really change your life because this is quite a good market to be in. It's like, oh, I don't know, looks really big and so on. And 
I wasn't really good with money back then either, like I, actually all my life. It comes in and goes out. And I think that's a really big hurdle to overcome as an entrepreneur, especially because if you don't have the right relationship to money, it's really hard to make that work, make that whole enterprise work. And that can go both ways, being too loose and spending too much. And then alternatively, also being too tight with your money, not wanting to spend. So I've found somehow a midway between the two and said, well, basically these people said like, you really have to do this. And I'm like, oh, you know, don't even have even the funds to buy the inventory. And they said, no, we totally understand, but we really think this is a really good thing and you should do this anyway. And so, you know, if Tim Ferriss is for working week and he cringes a little bit about his own book nowadays, but there are some great things in there. And one thing that I applied was uh, what he calls prototyping. So basically I put a website together in New Zealand where I was, I put the products on it, a little bit of a spiel of the company, but it was one page and it had my office number where I was working on the bottom, being a little bit entrepreneurial, didn't want to pay the $5 Skype that you used to use like that and forwarded it to my to my cell phone. That actually was found out some years later. It was not good of mine to do that, but um, I probably would do it again if I would be in the case of, you know, having just no money to do it any other way. <laughs> so there was that and put about hundred bucks towards uh, Google, Google ads and see like, would people actually, when they see this offer, uh, take action? And people did. They called and said like, wow, you know, I've, I've heard about this brand, you know, that was the clear light sauna brand uh, back then. And we, we would love to buy one. And you know, I actually hadn't bought any saunas. I had just made the website and sort of pretended. And so I said to these people, look, you know, yes, they're coming roughly in three months. I do need a deposit. And, you know, let's let's go from there. And, and having seen so many businesses and how business works, I was, was able to sort of pretend at that point, yes, this is a very legit, very normal company. And I think something that I often point out when I tell the story is also like, I'm the type of person that comes out of a small village or town where if you give someone your word, if you borrow something, if you borrow money, it will always be given back if that is what it was agreed. So when I ask for a deposit, people can sense my genuine belief that, hey, if I don't get these saunas in, I will give these people their money back. If I don't have it, I will work it off. Because some people say, oh, this is great. I just asked that. But if the belief behind it is like, well, you know, if it doesn't work, then they lose money you know, too bad, people wouldn't sense that. So, so, you know, this is really my word of caution. Like you, you can't be too loose on, on this. You really have to believe like, you know, I will deliver on what I've promised. Otherwise it will be rewound and they get their money back. This is the case still, by the way, when, if people buy and they don't like it within 30 days, they can't give it back. Anyway, so, you know, I got orders in, deposits in that helped me. I had a couple of credit cards I could max out, a little bit of goodwill from a friend. <laughs> this was a lot of money back then. I think it was $10,000. I stopped renting. I, I bought myself a van, lived in this van, partly and partly actually in the office. The CEO was a really early riser. So it meant I slept under my desk and I knew it would come at a 5.30. So I would get up at 5, quickly have a shower, so sneak around the security sensors that they were in the office. And I had a bitched off a couple with cardboard on top of it as well. You know, so a bit naughty. And I would go out, get breakfast, <laughs> and then come in at 6, half an hour after the CEO. He was always impressed how early I was there. I'm like, you're the reason that I'm early in because I actually had to get up to actually get out of the office so you don't see me being in here. And so I continued doing this uh, in the office, but also started to house it. So for two years, I would look after other people's houses. That really helped me. Once I had actually saunas in, in the country, I would actually travel. Like I would go from house to house with my sauna. It was a small one, but I would put it always in my big van and then put it back into the house where I would live for months or however people are overseas. And New Zealand people go overseas for a while. So, you know, two two weeks is seldom the case is more like four to six weeks so it's it's worth worth it 
yeah, and, and that's how I saved as much money, worked as little as possible in my corporate job so that went down to two and a half days eventually, you know, so I always, whenever I wanted to pay rise and I could sense there was no pay rise and said, okay, well then let me work less, played this for years. And that really helped to have enough time to do this because, you know, I would have not been able to work five days a week for eight hours. And then after that, do a really quality job on trying to create this company. So that was me doing it more or less alone. Johannes Kettleho came in soon after that, really, in the, in the first half a year, I believe. And now, of course, we have a core team of about 45 people and another about 100 people that work externally for us. And to me, people and team is the absolute key leverage point that, that makes a company succeed. You think about like a good example in my mind is, is Richard Branson and how he can just sort of rally the troops and be really out there with his personality, which is a template or is also an example for his employees to actually see like, okay, you know, this is who we are. Therefore, I want to be like that as well. So, you know, he probably attracts certain people into the company because of who he is. And therefore, his culture is really, really good because they knew what they signed up for. That's that, that part of, of getting the right people in to build a team is really, really important. There's some good books out there as well of just talking about the different phases. Because in the beginning, it's the founder, people say. And that's true. So it's the founder. They do it all. They work seven days a week, you know, most likely many, many hours. Not easy. And then... The first helper comes in or, you know, depending on who it is, I was really lucky having Johannes there. So, you know, we could always share the load, have, have opportunities to bounce off ideas and so on. But, but basically, when you hire, you hire for trying to get yourself out of the job was really out of your position, out of the company. It was always my goal. It never really happens, I found, when you have a fast growing company because there's always more responsibility coming away. So in the beginning, you do everything and sales, of course, and marketing is the most important thing. And then, you know, delivering actually on your promise and after a while you, you find like okay you know how how can i move myself out of it what can i actually afford who can i afford it might be someone who delivers for you in, instead you know and does that part of the business and then you know you find someone who can do the marketing who can do the accounts finance is often one that people really quickly outsource altogether so not even in their team for us it's a bit of a hybrid of people in the business and outside the business that help us with bookkeeping finance tax compliance that type of thing but it's it's a progressive move from being all in your head being yourself to like compartmentalize and say like, oh, this task is called bookkeeping. And this is actually something that is fairly easy to explain to someone else. And so you give that to them. And you need a structure to make sure that you understand your team, your team understands you and what needs to happen. There's SOPs which are standard operation procedures and so on. That there come tools in it to manage a team. But what I want to point out by all of that, I mean at the moment I just say yes, you grow your team and eventually like they take everything over from you. That's true. But the tools that you need to use, I believe, change over time depending on the size of the company. If there are two other people in the room, they quickly talk to you about an issue and it's sorted. If there are 40 people in the room, they can't all talk to you because otherwise it's like this octopus syndrome. Like you have so many different tentacles and they all suck and you don't have time to think yourself. And at that moment, you need actually a structure that supports them and you. And that could be regular meetings where these things are, you know, brought up. Or this is the escalation process. First, you ask, you know, your senior colleague about that before you go to the founder and so on. And the reason why I point this out beside that, yes, these are the tactics that you have to put in place, most likely if you, if you want to scale a team. 
you shift gear at the same time and that might mean that your people that that started with you are not interested in continuing with you and and some people take it really to hard and feel quite disheartened about this entrepreneurial journey because people don't believe in you anymore that were employee number one, two, and three. But the reality is like, it has nothing to do with you being suddenly not a nice person anymore or making really mean decisions. It has a lot to do with the nature of an organization changing to such a size that you need certain checks and balances in place that feel really hard and really rational and very different. But one that I hear over and over again, I have a lot of friends who run businesses and have gone through this journey is bringing in KPIs. KPIs, key performance indicators to see what people do. And by now I can explain to an employee really, really easily, team member we call them, why a KPI is actually really useful for them as well. If we don't reach the numbers of calls we are meant to do in sales, it means that they actually don't achieve their goals, which reflects negatively in their performance review. But if you say, look, you know, this KPI, therefore, they, they would then say, oh, you know, this KPI means that you can actually be mean to me or, you know, be really harsh with me and, you know, fire me. But that, that's that's not what it is about. It's more like I can't look over to your desk all the time to see whether you do these calls that you might not like as much or that are difficult, whatever. But I can once a week look at this number and tell you, hey, we need to work on maybe, you know, your resistance to make these calls or more focus time for that. You don't have enough time. So it's more about assisting someone. But these types of conversations go wrong all the time in smaller companies with early employees because they are used to something very different. And if you bring someone in and it's already in place, they think like, well, that's what I signed up for. I knew that before I started with other, like, so it's basically a change management piece. And, and we pride ourselves of still having people from the beginning and people stick around for a long time. And we have had a lot of change over the years, all the time. And by now, one of our core values is actually change because there is no way not to change. It's just normal. It's it's just unfortunately that, you know, when you're a young founder in particular, everyone has only limited experience in actually the, the real world and the business world. And that really contributes to people not knowing what's actually normal, what's actually normal in job. Like many of the additional people next to the founder want to have pie of the decision-making for everything in business. In the beginning, that's really fine. But once it becomes too big, you can't have, you know, 40, 100, 200 people all wanting to make decisions. And so that's that's a change for people who, who used to be used to doing that. If you think about how you actually want to find the right team member, it, it depends absolutely on your size, how sophisticated and structured the company is. And that's how you advertise. And recruiting is, is one of those things that needs a lot of attention. In the beginning, no one knows your company. And so there's quite a high likelihood that a friend says like, you know what? A friend of mine doesn't have a job at the moment, wants to get back into the workforce. Lovely people, lovely, lovely people, really nice, you know, vibes with you. And I could you meet them. <laughs> and that's it. That's, that's often the starting point. It's, and it, you know, there's a lot of goodwill on both sides. And I would call that you get in someone who's a generalist. You know, maybe really good work ethics, maybe able to, you know, operate a computer great. But when you put them in a specific part of the business, like let's say sales, they might have never done sales. So there is no shadow of a doubt that their performance and their learning curve is a very different one to someone who has always been in sales. But, you know, sometimes sales is not a full-time position. There's also marketing. So you bring someone in who does both a little bit and they basically ask you all the time how to do it because you sort of really went deep. Entrepreneurs seem to be that type. And then they give their knowledge to others. And the conundrum is that, you know, in effect, they, they, they just replicate what you do and they're not thinking for themselves as much. 
not saying that's that's always the case, but there's certainly a lot of seeking the right answer versus like, I'm knowing what I'm doing. I'm just trying to hit goals and really get to achieving, you know, what, what the companies set out to do this year. That shift from, I can only afford someone who wants to do a couple of hours that, you know, is friend of a friend and so on, which actually has also other implications because they're a friend of a friend. So you don't want to upset them by saying like, hey, now we, we have a slightly different structure here in the business because we're growing. We need to formalize things and people don't like that. And then the friend of the friend talks to the friend and the friend is like, hey, what's going on there? And, you know, you might lose both as a friend. <laughs> it's not, not always the case, but it can happen. It's just like, this is just life, I guess, you know, as an entrepreneur. And by the way, I've seen serial entrepreneurs. So these are people that, you know, create a company and then either just let it run and, and you know, step step out of the company or sell it or whatever. After a while, they they don't do the generalist thing anymore. They know the different and, and often there's more funding available. But basically, they say, I need someone in sales and it needs to be an absolute ace in sales. I really need to understand not only how sales do, but ideally in my market, in my industry, they have done that before. They have done exactly this function that I'm looking for before. And that's when the journey, in my mind, becomes really, to me, more exciting because there's less friction. People know what they sign up. They have done it before. They're actually confident in their job. They're better than you. At the moment, we have people in your in your organization that are better than you. And you recognize that and you can pull your ego in and say like, that's fine. This is your doing. Like you can take credit for what you're doing in this department. That's the best that can happen to you because then someone does it that actually has more time, is way more skilled than yourself and overall wants to achieve as well. So, you know, that these are people that are really, really driven normally when you when you find really these types of specialists. And it gives you a lot of time back. But it, but it takes it takes a realization that that's what you're looking for. And you can sleep at night because they're the ones that worry more. They understand the issue more anyway. And they're the ones like, so you outsource the sleeping problems there. So you need less herbs. But <laughs> even if not, you know, there's there's always something to worry about if you like. But but it's certainly like this outsourcing that, that gives me the idea of like, wow, this is great. Like I know someone else is worrying. You know, in the early days for entrepreneurs, it's always like, if I don't fix it, no one would fix it because no one has either the time or the know-how or really understands why this is actually such a big problem. And but when you make that shift, fantastic. I always say like, if you actually bring the pros in, and that means the pros that I never could become because I can't I couldn't make it work in the corporate world. I never even un understood how to actually really get into it properly. So yeah, that's that's quite a journey. And at that moment, it's a lot of freedom for for a founder. It really is. And and I think that's good for the organization. And if the organization has a good cause, it's good for the world to get to that point. There are many aspects of entrepreneurship and, and running a company that I absolutely love. The freedom that you have to do things that you believe in is insane. You can, you know, improve your your product more to help more people to be easier to be used by your by your customers or just be more joyous to be used there's so many different things you can put this little packing slip in it that you know brings a smile on the lips before they open the actual product and, and use the product there's so much and what that means for healthy is that we also looked beyond what our product does which is great for people's health that's good but we also felt that we wanted more than that. And so internally, we do things like employee assisting program, which is basically if someone in your team has an issue that they don't want to talk about anyone in the team, or maybe in their private base as well, they can go to a professional without us knowing that they're doing it. We just pay for that service overall. Then they get support. And there's another example where we just made the decision we wanted to do better than we do. And, and so there's a program which is called Buy One, Give One. And it sounds like... <laughs> 
you sell a product and then you give the same product away to someone else. And and some people do that. But but it's it's an amazing organization that uh, gives you many different ways of what they call impact. For example, you can say, look, for every email I send, I give one liter of fresh drinking water to someone in this country. So so you have a whole web store of small impacts, you know, that that, that are related to your activities. Whenever I send an email, this happens to me. Or we have it when whenever we sell a sauna, we protect the footprint of the sauna in native rainforest. So we do that in Australia, we do that in the UK. On average, a square meter and a half every time we sell a sauna. And you know, and then we have a couple of other impacts like solar, fresh water is another one. And what what I love about B1G1 is, and the founder Paul Dunn and his wife, they are so passionate about it. So they they really ask. How can we make it really easy for businesses to have a positive impact without having a special corporate social responsibility manager, whatever have you there? And you know nothing wrong with these these positions, but for small companies, it's not really viable often to to do that. You know, there's just not the funding for it. You know, this type of system, you actually can API into B1G1, and you don't even have to do any reporting or anything like that. They just tell you, okay, you know, your your matrix shows me that you wanna donate that much this month, you know. And if you connect it to sales, you know, you're not out of pocket because you know you make extra money when you do sales. So that's a safe way to do it. And then whatever impact you decide you want to have, they deliver. I think they have about 10,000 different options there. And worldwide, some of the big, big companies around the world use it as much as, as small ones. And it's a wonderful network. They know all their projects. They screen it you know, for, for all the different aspects that, that the project has to be just right for donations and so on. So I'm, I'm really passionate about that. And I'm, I found it really exciting. You know, I see that, you know, our success goes up. And with that, they are linked to that success of our impact, which is great. We tell our customers about it. They think that's great. But also our team, you know, because they are actually the reason why this is happening, because it's their effort to make this all happen and, and get funded. So it's it's just one way to have more impact as an organization without having a lot of effort, having to put a lot of effort into it. All right. That was just a little anecdotal episode where I just talk a little bit about, you know, where this is all coming from and get to know me a little bit uh, when you listen. I would love to, to give you a couple of, of things that you might want to ponder on. One is, is there anything that you could do on your wellness journey that you could actually put in place? Now, what could you make in habit? If you, if you Google habit trackers, it's something that really hacks your habits really good because you, you have a structure there to get a habit into place. So if you have anything that could help your wellness, I encourage you to to take action on that because you might have been pondered on that for, for many, many moons. And there's another one that I found the most powerful of all ways of being, and that's know thyself. If you know yourself through personality tests, through reflection, through conversation with friends, it's like, what do you think? How do I act in these situations? Or what are the situations that pique your interest or pique your awareness? It's like, that's a trait of them. And, you know, I'm never afraid to say, what trait do you think is not so great that I'm displaying currently? Because at the end of the day, that's where you actually get the most impact on becoming a better person. Say, where am I really, really good at? It's, it's not so useful. It's, it's not as useful because that's already good. I mean, you know, it's good to know, okay, this is what people love and keep doing that. But I think it's more important to say like, hey, in this instance, you often get really irritated. And I found that tricky because then the whole communication breaks down or whatever. 
and then you can have a conversation with someone. So knowing thyself and saying, okay, I can see this topic coming up again. I've heard that I'm irritated when you talk about this topic. So I'm thinking about now ways to either bypass it or to be different and so on and have that self-awareness. It's so powerful. I've, I'm reading a lot. I've read a lot for a long time. And when you look at really successful people, they know that themselves very well. They know what they do and don't want to do. Yeah, encourage you to do that. It's fun anyway, because you're more confident than about, do you actually understand what's going on around you? Yeah. If you are interested in finding out more about actually being part of our team or being a partner, a worldwide partner for Healthy, please do look into the show notes and reach out to us. We always look for, for great people and have positions going, but also sometimes there's a waiting list and then something pops up, which happens too. So would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your feedback anyway to this episode. So if you can share any of your experiences in the, in the comments below, I would love to hear them too and, and see how you feel about what I was sharing. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Loved your time. Thank you so much for spending the time with me and I look forward to hear from you again. Bye. We hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation. Please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey, these stories of remarkable transformation, success and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people. Until next time, have the best life ever.